Hello and welcome to My Biggest Lesson, the show that brings you the key learnings from the most influential founders, executives, and investors in the Colorado tech community. My name is Adam Burrows. And I'm Chris Erickson. Together, we are the co-founders of Range Ventures. An early stage venture firm based in Denver. You can find out more about what we're up to at range.vc. Our guest this week is Mike Zawitkowski. Mike started and runs Acorn Analytics, a boutique professional services firm made up of top data and technology experts in Boulder. He's been on the founding team of a dozen startups before that. And most interestingly, Mike is a former international pop star in Poland, which you'll hear about on our episode. Mike, thanks so much for joining us in the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. I would love to hear a little bit about what you're up to with Acorn Analytics. I know your career has some really interesting twists and turns, which we'll get to in a little bit. But to start with, what are you up to right now? So right now, Acorn Analytics, well, I should, I should say we've, we've had a long history of helping companies of all shapes and sizes be more data-driven. And since we've relocated to Colorado that has gotten a lot more focus. So manufacturers, particularly those in food and beverage and natural products, those are the companies we're really helping with. And it's not just about data. It's really about technology and helping to support them and however technology can help them grow. Love to hear, how did you start the company? Ah, so I was in the Bay Area and I think it was like my 12th startup. And in the Bay Area, there's a lot of like, being a consultant, I'll use air quotes to like, you know, consult into a gig and you'll be at a a numerous startups fractionally until one of them gets funding and, and you move on from there. And I felt like, you know, I I don't want to do that anymore. I actually like the services aspect of, of what it's like to not just be serving one company, but serve a lot. And I felt like in data and analytics, there was a huge opportunity. This was back in 2016 to do what I was doing as head of data for this one startup to do it for many and made a little deal with my wife. I was like, let, let me go and try this. And, you know, if we, if we start to run out of money, then I'll go and get a real job. But fortunately, it worked. I think I called like 100 people that summer. Like, I was like, hey, this is what I'm doing. By the way, how do I do health insurance? How do I, you know, what's a sole prop versus corp? Like all those questions. And do you know anybody? And at first it was a very slow summer, but when people got back from vacation, I got flooded. So we incorporated then. That's great. I mean, you hear about fractional CFOs all the time. Very cool that I think you you pioneered, right? Fractional. <laughs> <laughs> and and I think it's it's great. It's something that so many companies we know can absolutely use. Well, I'd, I'd love to hear, Mike. I mean, we'll go into it a little bit, but what were you doing before? I'd love, love to hear what you were doing before you got into the whole, whole tech thing. Yeah, so... I, I like to tell people, I, I think of it like a pattern interrupt. So you go to these like boring networking events and people are like, I'm this and I've been doing this for so and so years. And those folks that have something not businessy to say. So mine is always, well, I'm a retired international pop star. And why I justify that is I was actually, I got into data when I was in high school. I was going to high school to U.S embassy school in Warsaw, Poland, and as a summer job doing some data migration stuff as they were trying to move to digital records. And I thought, well, there's no money in computers. Why am I doing this? Let me go into music like a fool. So I uh, ended up 
learning as, as much as I could to, to study. I went to a conservatory uh, in Poland for a little bit until I ended up auditioning for what I thought was a band that they were putting together. And it turned out to be American Idol. They were piloting it in Poland. Nobody knew what it was. And it was huge. Like it was so big. Like I couldn't go out without a disguise or I would get tackled by like fans asking for autographs. Like it, it was nuts. The record went gold. We toured Europe. I decided I hated being famous and would rather work in the recording studio. So I ended up going to Berkeley College of Music in Boston to learn that, to be a producer. The funny thing is if you can get a bunch of like, you know, drunk or high musicians to show up at 3 a.m. at some recording studio somewhere and make something of value for an album or for a class. And here you are keeping track of data from, you know, across multiple hard drives. You have to stitch together later. You're doing math on the fly because they want to hear that thing they just played live back once they walk into that room. It's a lot. Compare that to here's a stock price and the weather. Can you come up with some, some, you know, or here's a call center set of data. You have a month to do that. It's the same math. Pays a lot better. It's a lot easier of a job. So yeah, that, that's sort of how the two connect. And you don't get, you don't get tackled though, right? When you go outside in your career. No, no, that's, that's the other thing. <laughs> that's, that's amazing. Our first, Chris, our first international pop star on the show. Well, that, that we know of. That we know of. True, 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 true. <laughs> we've, had, we've had a guy, the self-proclaimed crouton king, Mike, but the first international pop star, this is a new one for us. And uh, thanks for uh, honoring us with your presence. <laughs> of course. For a while, I would say, like, I'm big in Europe sort of thing. Like, but that changed when, while I was in Boston, I ended up working with an Indonesian band for a while. It was their lead singer. And they released on cassettes. And this is... 2004 in Indonesia, and it was a number two hit. So my wife, who's a scientist, let's fast forward 10 years, meets Indonesians and mentions Venus Bullet, the band, and they're like, your husband was the singer of Venus Bullet? Oh my God. And it was like, like that, that part blows my mind more than the like, oh, you stumbled into something that got really famous on TV and everybody knows your name. Like, okay. <laughs> yeah. So Mike, let's, let's change direction just a bit to talk about Colorado and Colorado tech ecosystem. You moved here about four years ago. would love to hear about what drew you to Colorado and what you saw in the tech ecosystem then. And over the last four years, sort of what you've observed about how it's changed and what you're excited about for it going forward. Man, it does not feel like four years. Like, because I basically moved here six months before COVID. And so we moved here out of the Bay Area because we were, we were looking for community more than we were getting in the Bay Area. And we wanted to change the scenery. And we're very fortunate we ended up where we did in Boulder because just to give you a quick antidote, our dog got out and he's an old deaf dog. And so we just text our neighbors that we know, you know, having moved here for a couple months, we're like, just keep an eye out. And they like formed search parties Wednesday at three o'clock. Like everybody's out looking and we're like, please go back inside. We are not used to this level of generosity with your time. Whereas if we did that in the Bay Area, like people are so busy, like commuting back and forth and like just trying to do the, the rat race of like the startup scene there, we would hear cricket, like we wouldn't get any response. Lucky that we did that. And at least when, we, when I first moved here, a lot of what I did back in the Bay Area, particularly for business development, was just to go to a lot of meetup groups. So I got heavy into like, all right, let me go to every meetup groups, like Boulder Robots Meetup for Beer, Startup Climbers, D3 Data Visualization Meetup. So hitting all of those places and just trying to get a feel for what the community was. Unfortunately, COVID hit and then, you know, all of that kind of went away. So 
I have to say that it's only in the last year or so that I've really gotten a feel for that. And maybe not so much in the high tech scene as I would have in the Bay Area. A lot more professional services. I ended up joining the entrepreneurial organization EO. So I've got to meet a lot of, I think there's like 160 members in in Colorado. These are all founders of companies at a certain dollar number or higher. So yeah, it's been it's been fascinating. Like I'll give you an example. There's this one woman that I like to talk about, like to, to give you an idea of the breadth of of places, of, of types of companies. When I would go to a meetup in San Francisco, it's like, oh, I have an AI startup. I have an AI startup. I have a SaaS startup, whatever. Here, like my friend Daphna has a company, Little Kickers. They they rented a space, she and her sister, get a long lease and you're supposed to put it back the way it was when you get it. They dug a hole, they made a swimming pool and they now teach, I think something like 2000 lessons a week to kids in Denver. I never in a million years would I think I know what I'm going to do is I'm going to rent a building and like put a swimming pool in it. So yeah. It's interesting. I was just talking with a buddy about after going to a kid's skating class last night that we got to rent a building and just put a sheet of ice in it because they had 150 kids on the ice for an hour at 25 bucks a pop. And I was like, this is a great business. So it's funny you mentioned skating now, not on ice, but I don't know if, uh, you know, if you heard, but, um, I've been just trying this past year to, to, to speed skate on rollerblades as fast as possible. I, I actually, my time at the national championships, this is what I was doing over COVID is just getting really fast. It's faster than the Guinness book of world records. It's like 9.9 seconds, whereas the Guinness book is like 13 for like the hundred meter dash. Then I realized like, I actually have a business to run. I should probably like, you know, focus on that a little bit more, but skating is near and dear to my heart. So anytime you want to go, just let me know. And yeah, you want to talk about the business model. Mike, I, I don't know about your, your life decisions here. I mean, you could be an international pop star speed skating celebrity record holder. Instead, you're running a, a data company in, in Boulder. I, I don't know about this. Uh, yeah, I, you know, the heart wants what it, what it wants, you know. <laughs> well, great. I'd love to know, you know, you haven't spent a ton of time here yet, Mike, in Colorado, but is there any, any company here that you're particularly excited about? Yeah, you know, I mentioned Little Kickers. I, I just think it's, it tickles me to think about like that, that diversity. You know, another one I, I, I think of is another friend of mine through EO, lagoons.com. So it's bioremediation for like, they're basically like, where does all the waste go? Like, you know, they, they kind of handle that sort of thing. That's not the name. That's just the domain. And I can't, uh, it's easy to remember. <laughs> and then Umzu is another one. So as I've been meeting folks in the community, it's been really great to meet. This is a supplement company that's really into like natural products, but also they've got a greater vision for, for sports and, and, and health and athletics. And they just got a really great group of people that, that I've loved to get to know since I've moved here. So yeah, I'd say those are, those are companies that come top of mind for me. So Mike, let's jump into to why we're here. We'd love to hear what your biggest lesson is, you know, and tell us what the lesson is, how you've learned it, and sort of how you apply it, you know, to your everyday life or speed skating or international pop star, you know, fandom, you know, what's the lesson and how has it influenced you? Yeah. So this lesson, it's pretty raw because it kind of just happened this, you know, I'd say in the last, within the last year. And I think to tell it some backstory, you have to understand. And the lesson in a nutshell is listen to your customers. And it sounds so obvious. And I, I feel like I've known that for, for years and yet I didn't. So the background is when COVID first hit, so it's like early 2020, 
it tanked our business at first. Like everyone's like, what's going on? Let's just freeze all consulting kind of stuff. And then everyone's like, well, we have all this money. We can't spend it on events. And we got all this money from people, from, from clients. And so our business grew like it had never grown before. I think we went from five to 25 in like two months. And so that coupled with getting to collect cheap money from, you know, COVID relief, we were flush with cash. We were feeling like, you know, on top of the world because everyone was throwing, throwing, you know, opportunities at us that I think we got complacent and we thought, okay, well, as we grow, let's figure out how we scale to the next stage. Do we need to make a couple of changes and and put the offer out there? But keep in mind, I had just moved from the Bay area. Data science isn't on the tip of everyone's tongues and the way it is, I think in, in Silicon Valley. And on top of that, so, so was a, there was a vocabulary issue. Also, it was the industry issue. Like, it's not the same group of, of potential clients. None of that was apparent as we were going forward because here we had all this money. And, and so we were very slow even to like put new offers out there. And it wasn't until I think it was July, I came back from like a two week vacation and the team was like, uh, so we actually only have, if we keep doing what we're doing, we're going to be out of cash in two months. What are we going to do about it? And so it was like fire drill. Fortunately, I had a mentor who's like, Mike, I know you want to go out and just go sell hard and, you know, make some deals and, and bring in some new clients. If you can, it'd be much better if you do a listening tour. And the way he described it is like, you know, just go and be like, tell me about your world. And I was like, I can do that. I, I love doing that stuff. So I did that. He was totally right. And I heard a different way of people communicating for one. I also got to learn about all the different industries that are in Colorado. Like I basically, I just reached out to my network. It's like, I want to, I'm new. I want to learn about the industries. Like, here's the type of industries I'm looking for. Introduce me. Do you know anybody who, who fits this? And got a bunch of introductions. I made a spreadsheet. I was like, here's all the problems and pain points that I'm hearing. I marked on one column was like on columns. It was a, it was the names of, of the people that I was meeting. And on the other was the problems. And it was, I was looking at ubiquity versus intensity. So is this a really big problem for very few people? Or is it a very mediocre, lukewarm problem for like a lot of people like trying to figure out the right combo? And I thought through that, and this was like another sobering moment. I, I looked across those names and I was like, oh, clearly marketing analytics. Everyone's freaked out about the changes in iOS and, and privacy laws and they can't advertise and people are going out of business and particularly in food uh, brands I was talking with. This is clearly where we're going to spend our focus. And I made the offer and it was like, no, no, don't touch that. Like, that's not what we need your help with. I was like, wow, I really missed the mark here. So I like took a big step back and I like try, you know, listen some more. And what we came out with was super strong. Like we realized without even using words like math and data and mixed integer programming and, you know, machine learning, we knew that we could look at their financials and typically find for manufacturers, like we could take their inventory down by half. Everyone is hoarding inventory and they, they do this even on good years. We could free up what's the equivalent of 20 to 25% of what their annual revenue is in new free liquid cash, use that to fund whatever they could do with us. So this was like a win-win, right? Like put some money in here and get a 10x return. And then also we'll take care of all your technology needs. And that technology needs part was interesting because like, I'm kicking myself. If I think back to all of our clients, not just the manufacturers and the food and beverage and natural product companies, I realized 
everybody was basically asking for this. Yeah, they like, you know, indulged us. We helped them with data and machine learning, but they really needed technology leadership. So now we're serving as fractional CIO, fractional CTOs for these organizations and learning more and then, and then coming up with new offers that we can then can provide to them. So we've gotten really focused on, let's just help people using technology and data that are in this space. So, so Mike, I think what's interesting about this, and I love your thoughts on, your starting point was listen to the customer and that sounds obvious, right? And, but I feel like I hear this story from a lot of startups of, oh, we weren't listening to the company the customer than we did. And then we actually found our wedge, our moat and built this incredible business, right? Why do you think so many companies have to go through that journey? Of they launch something, then they stop listening, then they have to start again to get back on the path of success. Why do you think that happens so consistently? So in when we talk with companies about algorithms, we like sometimes we talk about explore versus exploit. So when we do an exploration algorithm, what we're really looking at is the optimal value for that is when you don't know, like it doesn't matter if it's a yes or a no, a left or a right, knowing that is, is equally valuable. Exploit is, well, we obviously know what the answer is. It's, it's blue. So let's just make it as blue as possible. You don't need to do that. So I think we get hung up and I know from my personal experience, I don't know, I can't speak to the others that you've talked to, but my personal experience is, you know, as we try to think about scaling, having that exploration process becomes a little bit more difficult. Like, I think the tendency is to like prematurely optimize and just say, okay, let's, let's pound out a cookie cutter approach to dealing with this issue. You know, things change, I think. I, for us, it was realizing that the same, it's still English, but it's actually a new language and, and also the things we're listening for between the words they're not saying was subtly different here in Colorado with food and beverage and natural products compared to high tech companies that we were serving in the Bay area. Mike, I have a hypothesis as well is that it's so hard to get initial product market fit, right? On something, right? And it's so exciting when you get someone to buy something from you that founders are sometimes afraid to rock the boat and figure out, A, is it good enough? Or B, is there more I, I can do? Because that initial journey w- was so hard. Do you think that psychology plays in the part of it as well? I do. You know, I know a number of entrepreneurs right now grappling with this issue of, I have this, let, let's say they have a service or product for chiropractors. And they're like, could I do this for dentists? Could I do it for all healthcare? Could I do it for all businesses? Like, and maybe that's just sort of the natural visionary tendency. But on the flip side, it's, but as much, if you niche down really tightly, you get to know all that you can know about, about that particular customer. So it just seems like there's a lot of these dichotomies in this fascinating field that we're in, which is like building businesses. And I don't think it's a bad thing. I think it's just a question of trying to figure out the right balance. Mike, what, what do you think? One other topic, you know, that listens to your customers, obviously there's the, the flip side of that, which is always cited Steve Jobs, right? Of he knows what the customers don't even know that they want. And I think it's maybe in a service business that you're in, it's more, more clear that, hey, you're, you're serving the customers, you give them what you want. But in a product-based business, I know you've had a lot of success there and even, hey, even producing pop songs, right? You create what you want. <laughs> 
and you hope that the audience likes it or, or you, 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 you're creating something that you think they will like, they don't even know yet. How do you reconcile those two? Oh man. So what comes to mind, two, two thoughts. One is talking, I can't remember his name, but it was a very famous songwriter in Nashville. And he said, don't follow the trends. Like you want to follow your straight line and the trends are going like this and where they intersect is where the dollar sign is. So it literally made a dollar sign on the whiteboard when he like drew the S of the trends winding and then he drew his line of what he's doing. But I do know that in, in past companies where it was a product-based business, we ran into that. It felt like figuring out a frustration for yourself was a good first starting point. And then it was a matter of like, well, how many other people have this? Is it like this niche? Is it you know, I, I remember hearing this, this story, I think of Strava, like early before they started Strava, like they're like, we have this problem with, I think it was email. And I'm, I'm going to butcher the story, but they thought it was just maybe in sports brands. And then they're like, well, who else has it? And it turns out everybody had it at the time because it was just when emails was a thing. And it was like, whoa, this is, this is a whole different level of company. Maybe it's that exploration that, that helps. Yeah. Anyways, those are the two things that come to mind. I don't know that they answer your question. No, it's a, well, I think it's an unanswerable question, right? <laughs> Probably depends on your, your set of experiences and uh, how confident you are in what, you're, in what you're building. Cool, Mike. This is awesome. Really appreciate you coming on. Where can our listeners uh, get in touch with you or follow along with what you're doing? Yeah. Anyone can email me at mike at acornanalytics.com. It's our website as well, acornanalytics.com. And I'm not much on, on social media, unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on how you look at it. And where can we all hear your hit song on Spotify? <laughs> you know, that's a good question. So Venus Bullet, I think is, is the name of band. I have to check again if they're on Spotify. And then just my name, Mike Zawodkowski. I'm sure that there's, there's stuff floating around. If you can find it, let me know. Thanks so much, Mike. This is great. Take care.